You're listening to The Rescue Radio, a podcast by Portland Mountain Rescue, the show that brings you closer to the outdoors. I'm your host, Anya Viktorovich. On June 25, 2022, a three-person party climbed Unicorn Peak in the Tatouche Range, located in Mount Hood Rainier National Park. What happens when you do everything right and yet something goes wrong? With me today, I have Petra Labaron Bat, who is not only a super rad person and climber, but she's also a member of Portland Mountain Rescue. Hi, Petra. Hi, Anya. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for uh, coming over. Before we start, tell us something about yourself. What do you do and how long have you been doing outdoorsy stuff? Uh, so I am a full-time instructor at Mount Hood Community College here in the Portland area. Uh, I teach in the health and physical education department there, and I teach a variety of classes, uh, mostly first responder and first aid classes, and then a combination of indoor rock climbing, backpacking, navigation, and uh, very beginning skiing. Um, I came to the outdoors pretty late in life, actually. I, I grew up in the Middle East, and so I didn't have many opportunities to do outdoorsy things aside from uh, jumping into bodies of water and running uh, up and down sand dunes, which are fun, but um, not anywhere close to climbing mountains. Uh, but um, in 2009, 2008, I moved to Portland, and uh, just by chance, I ended up taking a class through the Mazamas Mountaineering Club. Uh, I took a Nordic skiing class, um, which turns out I'm really terrible at. Um, Cross-country skiing is way harder than it looks like it should be. Uh, I guess it's better to find out in a class if you're better good (laughs) and if you like it. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, But uh, while I was in that class, I heard about the basic climbing education program that the Mazamas run. Uh, so I ended up taking that in 2009, and that kind of kickstarted not only my interest in the outdoors, but also my career path. So from there, I went on to take more classes through the Mazamas, and then I also uh, then took a job with the National Outdoor Leadership School, where I taught uh, mountaineering and backpacking in most Western states, and then uh, kept working at a string of outdoor jobs up until working for Mount Hood Community College in 2017. And then uh, I joined Portland Mountain Rescue in August of last year. Yes. uh, It's It's been really great, uh, but it's also been like drinking from a fire hose. Um, (laughs) And I feel really glad that the trainee program is two years because, you know, I'm, I'm almost one year into it now and there's no way I know even close to half of what I'm supposed to know. Oh, stop it. You're awesome. <laughs> um, you're doing an important job uh, teaching people how to stay safe out there. So Unicorn Peak. It is one of my favorite training climbs. It's absolutely gorgeous. Can you talk about the route? How hard is it? What people can expect climbing it? what you said is exactly right. I kind of think of Unicorn as being a great training climb. Uh, It's a really nice beginning of the season climb, you know, perhaps when you're not in great, you're, you're, you know, your best mountaineering shape. 
And it's a great warm up for more complicated objectives. It's only about six miles round trip and just a couple thousand feet of elevation gain, maybe a little over 2,000 feet of gain. And it's a very easy, flat approach and then a couple of stretches of steep snow. And then there's a 50 foot rock summit pinnacle. So that's the route. So it's gorgeous views of Rainier, really beautiful. And yeah, just a great warm up for the rest of the climbing season. You can almost touch Mount Rainier. It's so close. I know. I always get really frustrated because I look at it and it just seems like, give me a couple more hours and I'll just run up and tag the summit. (laughs) (laughs) If only. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's get to the climb. It was party of three that day. Yes, we were a party of three. We originally were supposed to climb Rainier that weekend. Um, we were supposed to climb. Uh, we had permits to to climb via Emmons, but mm-hmm. the other two members of my party had recently had COVID and were not feeling up to climbing Rainier. And I was just coming off of a pretty intense term of teaching and taking classes and hadn't been able to get out nearly as much as I would have liked before heading up Rainier. So mm-hmm. uh, Unicorn was kind of our, our consolation climb. It was just supposed to be a little bit of training and a fun, beautiful day out in the mountains. How were so, the conditions? Uh, the conditions were fantastic. We had beautiful blue skies, warm, bordering on uncomfortably warm weather, <laughs> and lots of snow, definitely more snow than, uh, than I've usually seen this time of year which makes sense. And really great, easy climbing conditions. You know, we never needed crampons. The snow was pretty soft the entire way up. So really nice. And we made great time up to the summit pinnacle. And what went wrong? It seems you did everything right. You started early. Everyone had skills. The weather was great. What happened? Yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> we're still <laughs> we're still kind of trying to answer that question. We got to the summit pinnacle and you know, like I said, we've been making really good time. We got up there at about 9 a.m. and we figured be out back to the trailhead in time to go have lunch and a beer uh, mm-hmm. after leaving the park. So we started talking about which route to take to the summit. Uh, there are four routes up to the summit. There's a, a fourth class scramble, there's a five zero, and there are two variations on a five six. Uh, every time that I have personally climbed Unicorn, I have done the five zero route. And <laughs> one of my climbing partners, Roberta, who's also climbed Unicorn several times, I believe has also only ever done the five zero route. But all of us are competent climbers. We all have trad climbing experience. We ultimately decided that the 5.6 was within our abilities and uh, sounded a little more engaging than the 5.0. Sam, one of the members of my party, decided that they would lead the climb. Sam is a, is a very competent climber. Sam has a lot of trad experience, and so we all felt really comfortable with this decision. Uh, Sam, I put Sam on belay, and Roberta was in charge of taking pictures. Sam placed, I think, placed a cam low down and then about 25 feet up the climb there's a a roof and you have to either traverse to the right or traverse to the left from there. Sam started to go right and it seemed like they were you know having a hard time finding good holds weren't you know Sam sort of seemed to hang up there for a minute and then they said that they wanted to try traversing to the left instead. Mm. And so Sam Sam placed a tri cam, tested, down climbed a little bit, 
and tested the rock that they were going to wait in order to traverse left. And that rock stayed put. Sam did everything that you're supposed to do. But then when they weighted the rock and moved left, it's a little, it all happened really quickly. And I, I think people often say that right after an accident. All oh, it happened so yeah. quickly, but it did happen so quickly. The first thing that I was aware of was, was Sam screaming, rock, rock, rock. And I saw a rock about the size of a microwave or so that was coming down. Oh, man. I tucked myself into the rock, put my head down, and heard the rock fall behind me. And then a few seconds later, I heard screaming and realized that there wasn't any weight. There wasn't any tension on the rope. And I looked to my left and saw Sam on the ground. The order of events is still a little bit unclear to me, but all I know is that the tri-cam was no longer in the crack and Sam was on the ground. So it seems like the rock they tested just gave in. That's what I assume. But but I'm not totally sure. It's also right. possible that a different hold popped out and then the tricam popped. I'm not right. totally sure. What were the next steps? So, of course, you're in shock standing there looking at your partner on the ground. What do you do? Yeah, Roberta immediately went to try to stabilize Sam as best as she could. The area around you know where Sam fell is is very uneven. Sam fell onto the rock. And so Roberta was trying to keep Sam's head, neck, and spine in alignment. And we had, luckily, we had service at the top of Unicorn. Mm. I was able to call 911, who then patched me through to Mount Rainier Search and Rescue. I explained what had happened. I told them that, you know, Sam was screaming that their back hurt, their back hurt, their back hurt. And so um, obviously a back injury probably a neck injury, maybe a head injury, and that walking Sam out would be impossible. And also that a litter evacuation would be incredibly challenging and time consuming. And that I thought that a helicopter would be the best if there was one available. Luckily, because there are so many rescues that happen in Mount Rainier, they told me that a helicopter was already in the air and that they would uh, send it to our coordinates to gather some information about where we were and where they could land and if they could land and that they would then pick up rangers and bring them back. Lucky. So you were like three miles in, right? From the trailhead? Yeah, three miles in. Yeah, they came maybe about 20 or 30 minutes after I placed that call. Uh, And during that time, it was so fast. Yeah. You know, I've been a part of a few, I've been a part of a few rescues in the past. And, and they, you know, I've been a part of rescues that take 14, 15, 18 hours to have this rescue happen so quickly felt just (laughs) felt incredible. And then so the helicopter came by. But then you had to wait for rescuers. How long did that take? That probably took at least another 30 or 40 minutes. So during that time, we so we were stabilizing Sam. We knew we needed to move Sam to the snow. We knew that Sam would need to be there for the rangers to package them into the litter. And that also Sam would be much more comfortable on a flat surface. But we were unwilling to move them with just the two of us because we knew right. we wouldn't be able to safely make that move right so we in total we were probably stabilizing sam on the rock for about 
an hour on our own. And during this time, you know, we're, we're just trying to make Sam as comfortable as possible. Started doing an initial patient assessment. I cleaned up some of Sam's open wounds, splinted their arm, which was broken. And we just tried to keep Sam calm and uh, comfortable until another group of climbers came up behind us uh, after we'd been there for about an hour. Oh, help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I do want to say, you know, luckily it was a group of Mazamas. So a group of Mazama climbers means two things in my mind. One, the group is guaranteed to be enormous, right? So at least yeah. eight people. <laughs> and then uh, the other thing is that everybody in that group will have had some level of training, mm -hmm. some level of first aid training, some awareness of emergency response. And I am still so, so grateful to that group of climbers because mm -hmm. as soon as they got to us, uh, everybody jumped into action. People were giving us layers. People were giving us first aid materials. People were helping with moving Sam. Somebody gave us vegan brownies. They were just mm -hmm. a really <laughs> exceptional group of people. Nice. So with additional eight people, you could safely move them off the rock to a better place. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So we think it took maybe five or six of us to make that move, but we were able to do it safely and uh, keeping keeping Sam's head, neck, and spine aligned. Nice. So you got them st uh, stabilized and, and taken care of, and then the rescuers show up. What happens? The, the rescuers were flown in on a haul line. So, you know, they're mm. kind of dangling from the, the helicopter. The, they were dropped onto the snow where we were, and then the, the helicopter took off to kind of circle around until the rangers called them back. After the rangers were dropped off, things happened pretty quickly. We got Sam into a vacuum splint and into a litter, got them packaged. We handed off all of the documentation that we had of vitals. And then sort of af maybe after the rangers had been with us for about 15 or 20 minutes, the helicopter was back, picked them all up and took them off. That's really fast and nice that you didn't have to wait so for hours. Yeah. yeah. I assume you had to walk out by yourself. We did. Yeah. So Roberta and I had a little moment of, you know, taking a few deep breaths. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we both cried for about 15 seconds and mm -hmm. then <laughs> picked up our packs and started walking out. That was, I, in, a, in a lot of ways, that was one of the longest walks out of a climb. The longest three ever miles had. ever. <laughs> The longest three miles of my life. Yep. <laughs> Do you know what injuries uh, Sam sustained? Only if they're okay us talking about it. I don't have a lot of specifics. I know that there was a, a fractured vertebrae in Sam's neck. Uh, I believe a fractured vertebrae in their lower back. And then mm -hmm. I think that the description of the right arm was that it was shattered. Mm -hmm. Wow. So making sure the spine is uh, taken care of right after the fall actually helped a lot. Yeah, and it was it was incredible because despite the the height of the fall and how many injuries there were, we did receive notice pretty soon that there had been no damage to Sam's spinal cord or internal organs, and that That's was amazing. You know, wow. amazing. Yeah. 
And most importantly, how are they doing right now? Do you know? Sam, I believe, was discharged from the hospital maybe about two weeks ago. Uh, they are with their family in Seattle. By all accounts, Sam is just crushing recovery so far. They are already getting around with no crutches, going for walks. So I don't know Sam very well, but I do already very clearly know that Sam is incredibly resilient and incredibly strong. And I think that those qualities are just um, really echoed in the way that they're recovering from this this accident. Nice. Sam, if you're listening, we are wishing you a speedy recovery, uh, sending healing vibes your way. I know the whole local community, uh, climbing community is cheering for you. So get well soon. Let's talk about things that went well and that didn't go that well. Uh, let's start with the things that went well. I think that we did a lot of things well. Uh, you know, we climbed a route or we, you know, we climbed a peak that we were familiar with. We climbed something that was well within our abilities. We, we had all the correct equipment. We had equipment that would have worked in a variety of conditions. You know, if we had experienced firm or snow or anything like that, we had a means of emergency communication. We had first aid kits. We started early in the day, gave ourselves lots of time. And then I would say that, you know, once the accident happened, that Roberta and I worked really, really well as a team. Roberta and I have talked a lot about this accident since it happened. We both feel that sometimes that our best selves come out in times of incredible stress. Mm -hmm. So I think that we were both able to be very focused, very calm, very sort of task oriented. And so I think that we responded really well. We stabilized Sam as best as we could. We got help coming to us immediately. And Roberta was an incredibly strong and calming presence for Sam. So I think that part of it went incredibly well. That's, that's so important to stay calm because freaking out is not going to help anyone. There's something to be said about taking the first aid course before I took in the wilderness first aid whenever I was in a rescue situation. And for some reason, I've been to quite a few of them, uh, not by my fault, but I've been involved in some rescues before I even joined PMR. I would always freeze because I wouldn't know what to do. And I think once I took some training, my brain just automatically jumps into action. Like I don't have to think. I just, I just follow what I learned. Just go down the little list that I was, you know, I was taught to do. And it happens automatically. So I think taking a first aid course is really, really crucial if you want to get outside. Absolutely. I, I think it should be mandatory. I, you know, even if it's a basic first aid class through the Red Cross or something like that. You know, I've, I've been taking first aid, specifically backcountry first aid classes for 13 years now, I think. And mm -hmm. I've gone and I also teach so many first responder classes. Mm -hmm. And what I really try to tell people is that doing scenario practice, running through the steps of emergency response, just doing that practice and going through that frequently will ingrain it in your muscle memory. So it's incredible how powerful that structure is. Having that structure, knowing those steps means that if you're confronted with an emergency situation, the nice thing about the structure is that you don't have to improvise a lot you can just fall back on that on those steps that have already been provided to you and you can sort of methodically work your way through them 
And if you hit all of those steps, then you will have done everything that you need to do. Right. And it's nice because you don't have to be like a medical professional to be able to help. <laughs> you, you don't have to know anything about medical fields, but you can still help. Another thing that you said, Petra, that I really, I, I think it's really important is having some kind of a communication. And I'm not talking about cell phone because a lot of times cell phones are useless. Either there's no cell reception or they just die because it's too cold. But having some other like in-reach, some other way to communicate is very crucial. Having an in-reach, having a spot, you know, there are all sorts of other little devices that are coming out now that, you know, that are basically like mobile hotspots that will work anywhere in the world that will enable you to text emergency services. A friend of mine mentioned right after this accident, how silly it is that people will drop $400 on a jacket and they'll think, wow, you know, what a good deal. I got this great piece of gear. But then when it comes to a $200 or $300 emergency communication device, people will say, oh, I don't know. Do I really need to spend that money? <laughs> We just don't think it will happen to us until it does. Yeah, until it does. Exactly. So then let's move to the next one. What are the things that you would improve? What do you think didn't go well? There, there's not a lot that I can point to as mistakes we made or things that I would change in the future. I, and I've thought a lot about what could have gone differently. There are only a couple of things that come to mind. One is to never forget or underestimate how bad the quality of the rock in the Cascades is. Think that we can get complacent and think that, you know, that we'll be all right. It's not that big of a deal. Unicorn's not a particularly challenging climb. You're only three miles from the trailhead. You know, we, we can get a little bit complacent and just remembering that anytime you're going to wait something that you should test it first. The other thing, and I'm not saying that Sam didn't test it. As far as I could see, Sam did test everything. And sometimes even when you test, only be able to test something with a downward pull versus a pull to the left or the right. I don't know the specifics of how this rock became dislodged, but, but I do know that Sam did their due diligence uh, for sure. And the other thing that I think could have gone differently is I think Roberta and I had only ever been up the two of us had only ever been up the 5-0 route. Perhaps in retrospect, it would have made the most sense for us to climb that since we are already familiar with that route. But that being said, 5-6 is well within all of our climbing abilities. So that's a, that's kind of a tough line to draw. Right. From listening to you and from re reading your report, it seems like your team did everything right. And I think it's just the nature of the activity, that our hobby that we choose that is inherently risky. So it was just bad place, bad time, but at least right people with right skills. I mean, you did everything I think that's right. That's such a great, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Wrong place, wrong time, but right people, right skills. A terrible accident. And these, you know, as you said, these things do happen in this, in this hobby. Yeah. If anything were to happen to me, I would love to have a person who teaches first aid for 13 years. <laughs> Petra, any parting thoughts you'd like to share? I just want to remind people that the GoFundMe for Sam is still ongoing. And I think that you will have a link to it on the podcast episode. And so if you are able to, um, to contribute to that, please do follow that link. I do just want to say 
Sam is a really integral member of the climbing community in the Pacific Northwest. Sam is the founder of Corvallis Climbers of Color. Uh, and so that's an organization that is dedicated to introducing people of color to the sport of climbing or just creating a space in which people of color can get together and climb, make connections within the community uh, and feel empowered and feel like they're able to sort of make those connections and, and do it in a space that feels safe. Sam does so much for that community and is so loved by, by the climbing community, both in Portland and in Corvallis. Any support that anybody out there can show for Sam would be, would be huge. Thank you for saying that, Petra. Sam is doing an amazing job. And yes, we'll we'll put the link in the in our description to the GoFund page. So if you guys could help out, there would be there would mean a lot to all of us. Thank you so much, Petra. I, I know it's very fresh and it's probably not easy to talk about it, but I really appreciate you coming and, and sharing your experience with us. Thanks, Anya. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. So it's time for our trivia question. So here it is. In the summer of 1982, this climber made the 70-mile hike, which took seven days, to K2 on crutches. What is the name of the climber? Remember, the summer of 1982, K2. If you know the answer, email us at rescueradiobypmr at gmail.com and you can win some PMR swag. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate you. You can check us out at pmru.org. We are also on Facebook and Instagram under Portland Mountain Rescue, where you can find lots of useful information like current mountain conditions and other public education news. A huge shout out to our editor, Mari Feher, for making us sound good. Until next time, play safe.